Okay, folks, welcome to the UK rental market update. This is the report for Zoopla, and this is uh, um, up to March 2023. It's quite revealing, Richard. You know, it's, you know, this is quite a... I tell you what, I was looking at the summary in, in total, and I was thinking, the proverbial is possibly going to hit the fan, <laughs> if it's not hit the fan already. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I was looking through it earlier as well. Um, and I think on every, everybody's got the question about what is actually happening in the rental market. It's ever changing. I think day, mm -hmm. day on day, things change. And everybody's a wee bit in doubt about how things are actually sitting at the present time. So it's good to cover yeah. this. Extremely worrying. I mean, the executive summary here, um, for the people on TikTok and Instagram, I'm, I'm, apologies, you won't be able to see what we're showing in terms of graphs, but we'll try and explain yeah. it as we go as well. Um, um, and if you do want to see the graphs and stuff like that, uh, pop over to Five Properties TV. We're running live on there just now on YouTube. Yeah. Um, you can see it on there as well, and you can make your comments as well. We will take questions. Uh, we will answer questions as well uh, towards the end. Um, but it's, uh, you know, and I've looked at some of my other stuff as well, because we're going to talk about the costs of what it costs to rent as well and how much it's gone up in terms of finance in the last six months for the average landlord in comparison in Scotland, for example, to the minimum rent increases you're allowed to do from from the 1st of April, which is between 3 and 6%, and how that equates to what you can actually do. I tell you what, for landlords out there, you better buckle your <laughs> buckle down the hatches. Um, it, it, I there's the... The tide is coming, um, I would say, the you know, the tidal wave. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the executive summary. You can yeah. see there in the key headlines there, Richard, 11.1% um, annual rent inflation for new lets, that is. Um, mm -hmm. Now, that's new lets. Now, we've got to have an important distinction here. There's a lot of properties that actually have been uh, tenancies for maybe five or six years, and none of the landlords have actually put up their rents within that period of time. Therefore, yeah. we're trying to do freezes on rents and we're trying to say you can't put the rent up. But the thing is, the landlord's not put the rent up for six years. Yeah, that's and a bit of a misconception, I think. I'm saying you're going to stop you putting them up. Yeah, because in between tenancies, I mean, in the start of new tenancies and things, then obviously that's the point where people are reviewing um, their rental values, maybe adjusting them accordingly. Or if they're a new property in the market and it's a new investor and things that's brought on, then they're going to price it accordingly. But all these existing tenancies and tenants that have been in properties for, like you say, five, six plus years, some of them haven't changed. Yeah, myself included. Yes. You know, I've, I've never really, I've never, it's a first, it's, I never really actually increased any rents when a tenant's been in situ since the very beginning over the last 30 years. You know, when I have, you, you could count on one hand how many times I've actually done that. And it's only because I've agreed to things like new double glazing, new heating system, new yes. kitchen. And that was just one property in itself. And all I did was put the rent up 50 quid a month <laughs> for, for that, which was very minimal to the very fact that I spent probably the best part of £16,000 to do it. Yeah. Um, so, so not an effective, really good use of uh, my rent return. But for me, personally, I felt it was essential. But the government tying their hands is causing a real problem, isn't it? Yes, yes, and I think I think it's important to remember that each landlord and their portfolio and things is as diff different for each, and it's an individual basis. So what's yeah. right for one person might not be right for the next. You could see the rhetoric as well on the media just now in terms of the the U the English market, and um, you know how how there's I, I just saw a story there now how it was uh, a, a tenant complained about to their landlord about the fact that the heating wasn't working effectively, and they got the notice to to leave. And they're, they're arguing that it's if you complain in, in England, 
um, as as a tenant to your landlord, you're twice as more likely to be evicted um, under no fault eviction. So this is yeah. the rhetoric in order to try and get rid of the Section 21 in England, which they got rid of, you know, in Scotland anyway. Scotland, yeah. We don't have we don't have no fault eviction anymore. Um, therefore, it 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 really curtailed it for us, um, and I'll explain why. Um, in terms of me, um, it then came to a point where you had a definitely anti-social tenant, um, and but you weren't you weren't in a position where you could actually explain to them that they were anti-social in case anything happened, like assault or anything like that. So you felt that the easy course of action was just to do the no-fault eviction to get rid of them, because no one yep. wants to get rid of a tenant, pays the rent, is actually looks after everything, and also um, and and, uh, and and doesn't damage the property and is not anti-social. Nobody wants to get rid of a tenant like that, do they? No, that's the kind of tenant you want to keep, obviously, yeah. Yeah. So no no fault eviction makes it extremely difficult now to take any tenant at all, and vetting has got even more stringent than usual for that reason. Okay, let's go back to this. Um, so it yeah. wasn't about 51%, and we'll talk about these headlines here in this, in this graph. Uh, let's just talk about the executive summary then. So according to Zutla, yeah. the rental inflation has slowed to 11.1%, uh, from a high of 12.3% in mid-2022. Uh, can I just say out there, why is the government then not? I mean, food inflation sitting at 17.8%, rental inflation sitting at 11.1%, and yet we've got legislation stopping us from increasing the rents, but none of the supermarkets have any legislation saying that they can't increase food prices. Yeah, there's no restrictions there. There's no nothing implemented to kind of put a... A, a, a cap on on food prices and things like you say inflation's away up at like 17 point what did you say or 17 percent food inflation yeah it's running it right now and then when you look so, at it as well you look at the banks you know base rates have gone up to 4.25 percent we're going to talk about the comparables in a minute yeah. but then there's no cap on there's no cap on the amount that the banks can actually charge you know why is that yeah what's good for one should be good for another yeah, absolutely. In terms, of industry, not, in terms of industries and things, yeah. There's not a consistent, coherent policy in this, and the fact that landlords are now in the position where they're having to weather the storm of the increase in maintenance costs, the increase in property management costs, and also the increase in finance costs. Yeah, there's and a lot of landlords who are feeling that, um, and I think... Let's, let's talk about that right now, Richard, actually. Yeah. yeah so in, uh, here's some examples. In... Six months ago, because it's over the last six months you rent to yep. monitor this. So six months ago, my interest. Now I've not changed these these amounts. I've no I've not done anything other than taking it from six months ago to where it is now. Now it's not even taken into account the next base rate rise, which was 0.25%, uh, which will add on to here as well. So it will be higher. So the difference in some of my some of my financing in the last six months. So that's your own portfolio. Yeah, own portfolio, yep. own properties. So. Here's one at the rent is uh, £350 a month. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference in finance in the last six months is £51 has gone up every month. So I now have to pay another £600 a year on this property um, for finance. Uh, but my rent has never gone up at all. Yeah. So the uh, according, so it's gone up £51 in a month. So that's what it is now from the six months ago. But under the legislation for Scotland, um, if I was to increase it by 3%, I'd, get, I'd be able to recover £10.50 a month. So I'd be still worse off by about £40. And at the 6%, if I can I can't justify it just on that alone, I can only recover £21 a month at the very most. So I'm still £30 out every single month, 
in terms of my and and I can't increase my rents to accommodate for that. I just has to take an absorption of thirty pounds. Plus, I then have to take an absorption of the maintenance costs as well. Because remember, it's the lower of the six percent or the additional costs that you've got. But the additional costs for me in that terms in this property itself, it was round about I would say sixty, seventy, uh, probably about seventy pounds, seventy pounds or eighty pounds. Um, so that's eighty pounds, and the only amount I can recover at the very maximum if I apply for it three months down the line is twenty-one pounds. Twenty-one pounds, yeah. That point. That's a similar story for the next property, a similar story for the next property, um, a similar story for the next property, a similar one for the next property, and we've got another one here which is uh, sixty-four pounds an increase every time. Now the rent on this is four nine five, um, mm -hmm. but I can only recover just under thirty pounds on a six percent increase. If it was a 3%, it would be £15. Um, so I'm having to take that as well, as well as all the additional costs on top of that, um, finance costs. Uh, I've got one here as well, actually, which is quite interesting. The mortgage has gone up £134 each month. Yes. That's a lot. That's since the last six months, yep. This is a free-floating one. This is how variable rates change. It's gone up £134 a month. It's gone up in terms of the mortgage financing. But I can only recover at the very maximum at 6%, £33. So I'm at £100 a month on that property. £100 a month is literally what a landlord potentially makes on profit. On yeah, some landlords, that is the profit, yeah. The shit is going to hit the farm. Do you know, Jim, I couldn't say it any other way. It really is going to hit the fan when you look at that. Now, for me, I'm quite fortunate because I've never overgeared myself so I can absorb but you can all for the other landlords out there who've got were new entrants into the market who have actually mortgaged up to the hilt to actually get the property in the first place. It really is. And now I had reckoned it was going to be three hundred and fifty-six thousand tenancies um, by the end of this year because of extra additional finance costs in jeopardy. Yeah, that's about thirty-six thousand in Scotland. Now, when you work out there's 250,000 houses needed every single year in England and there's 25,000 in Scotland to build every single year, all these properties disappear because of the finance costs because they'll have to sell them or they'll be repossessed. Mm -hmm. Then where does that leave the, the allocation of new build houses required to deal with the existing population that we've got there now in terms of it's growing? It's quite worrying. Well, it doesn't leave us in a good position at all. Um, mm. And... What you've just demonstrated there, Jim, is something that I'm hearing more and more. And I think there's a lot of other landlords that are in that position, the exact same position. Their costs now, due to mortgage rises and things, is yeah. far away in what even the 3 or the 6% could even um, help them out with. I'd be interested yeah, there's, to hear... There's another one, actually. So here, it's going up £131 a month as well yeah. in the last six months. It'd be interesting to hear for people watching, if you want to jump in, if, if, some, if people are experiencing something similar, which I imagine a lot of you will be, uh, please jump in the comments and let us know. Uh, just so we could get an idea of what um, is happening, obviously, out with the people that we deal with and obviously yourself. What prompted me to look at these numbers this morning was because the Scottish Association of Landlords has sent out its members a survey for, to that effect. Yeah. And while I didn't really bother about it, I started to focus on it because of the survey, because I thought I better put something in. And then I worked out what my average rent was. My average rent is 484 you know, over my stock, times 0 0.03. So literally, I can only increase every month. A 484, which is £15 a month, I can recover on a 3% increase. Yeah. 6% will be £30. So if you've just been told there, £30 at the very, very most, and then here in this example, 
mortgage rates for me and the finance cost in the last six months has gone up at least on average one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight, nine. Let's just tally that up and divide it by nine. 51. £71 on average. So £71 on average, these mortgages have gone up in the last six mm -hmm. months. And I will only be able to recover at the very most, um, at the very most, £29. And that's not taking into account the additional management fees, because management fees are having to go up as well, because, yeah. you know, everybody's got the inflationary aspect on it. Uh, then you've got your maintenance fees, um, which contractors are going up as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's what I'm not going to affect right across the board, I think. And you'll see that also everybody's aware of things increasing. But yeah, contractor fees, because their their time obviously is more valuable, their obviously resources and materials and things have gone up. So I mean it just has a knock-on effect. And then you also have the effect of you also have the effect of the insurance costs as well will have to go up as well. Yeah. So insurance is still to go on top of that. Um, you've got factors. If you've got a factor fee, which will have to go up as well. So I can't see how most landlords are going to be able to survive that have just entered this market if, if, they're, if they're on that. And I can't see, you know, the ones that have come in with no money down and they've been ambitiously giving away 8% and 10% to investors. If you're an investor to one of these people right now, you better think about twice about yes. what you're doing right now. Um, because that has serious implications on the fact that they've got to finance your 10% or your 8% return or your 5%, depending on what you've got in security. But then they've not got much leeway between, because they've mortgaged everything to the bank, more than yeah. likely. So yeah, these are the people implications. that... These, these are the people that really need to think about things in the first instance before they jump into, obviously, jump in feet first. I know, obviously, you're always on for, say, Monte Carlo or bust, but in this kind of... Economy and things really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, and it's a shame because there's a lot of enthusiastic people out there who are really uh, keen to get started building a portfolio and provide housing, and, and do you know what I mean? And, and that's the people that we want in the sector and, and building things up. But um, unfortunately, some of them are going to fall foul to uh, the um, what do you the think current, current situation? What do you think the first thing that's going to suffer? It's going to be maintenance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then that means the deterioration in the standard of property, and then that has, a, and then ultimately, who suffers? The tenant. Yeah, yeah. So the so, in a roundabout way, there's a strong correlation between the government's legislation and slum landlords getting yes. created. You know yeah, that's because, that's effectively what's going to happen. The government's legislation is going to lead to more slum landlords. Um, yeah, rather, rather than improving property standards and or helping and landlords and the landlords that genuinely want to improve their stock. But yep. they don't have the necessary resources anymore because they won't be able to increase their rents, and especially in Scotland, to be able to accommodate for that, to be able to improve their stock as a result. So, you know, if you're a tenant out there, I'm afraid that your future is you're going to have to leave, you're going to have to look at you're going to have to look after your kitchen a lot more because it's going to be there for a lot longer. Same yep. with things like heating systems. So it's only really going to come down at this point in time to essential repairs. Mm -hmm. um, it have to be done. It's not going to be. I need to, you know, we've, we've got this recently where I've decanted a house and I'm putting in windows, I'm putting in a kitchen, I'm putting in a heating yep. system, and I'm also well. putting in a bathroom as well. So I'm doing all that. It's going to cost me the best part of just shy of £20,000 yeah. to do it. But if I'd known this before I started the journey, now we are doing it anyway, 
I probably wouldn't have done it. To to that extent, probably not. Yeah. No. I would have, I would have definitely thought I would have thought twice. I would have thought twice about doing it because it's it's twenty thousand pound. It might be necessary in order for. We might enough. even we might even land on the other side of twenty. Do you know what I mean? Time the windows and things as well. So um, we're not quite. Well, it is, it is actually now. Yeah. Th- now you see that because I know yeah. what I paid for the windows because they're all done and dusted in it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are out there, you know, there will be people out there that say, you know, you've got to reinvest for your stock and all the rest of it. But if you've got no money to reinvest <laughs> and you've really got no rent coming in, it's going to be able to cover these costs. Therefore, you're going to be in a difficult position. So that's it really we, is a case of battening down the hatches. And that's where we come back to um, profit and how landlords, I mean, people could castigate landlords for making a profit. No, you can't say profit. You, you need to make a profit in What's order to reinvest. I know, I know. Landlord profit? <laughs> having a laugh. Are you? Really? It's but, like, of course you have to make a profit. As an the profit you're not going to accountant, and, you know, as a trained accountant in industry previously, you know, you have to make a profit to reinvest in the business, Definitely. to reinvest in your stock. If you don't make a profit, you can't put anything back in. Therefore, you can't improve your stock. You know, this is a classic example when you look back to the 1980s, and I will cite the Thatcher years, mm-hmm. where the stock had been run down so much by local authorities because they'd never really put anything back in to actually improve all their stock, that they took the decision to sell off most of the council houses as the way forward because there was, there was a huge ticking time bomb of a maintenance bill over these houses. Yeah. And, and in order to bring them up to current standard. So that's why a lot of this stock got transferred to housing associations and a lot of them got sold off as well on the right to buy. However, you reap what you sow. The, the councils just never thought about the fact that we need to replace this at some point in time. And you could have this argument and I will have, you know, I'll say this right now. The first thing someone will say is, but the councils weren't allowed to do this. They weren't allowed to reinvest in stock and reinvest in houses. Well, you know, there was money available through the Scottish Homes and other organisations outside of the council, which were actually able to invest in housing stock. And they have been doing for several years over the last 30 years. And I know that because I visited Scottish Homes at one point in time to look about doing build to rent. Um, and built to rent had actually just disappeared when I first started, which was about 25, 30 years ago. Built to rent had disappeared for private landlords, and they actually decided to allocate the, house, the, the money to housing associations. So housing associations have been doing this for years, and they had the golden opportunity to do it, but the governments hadn't pushed them enough to actually to grow big enough and to grow fast enough in order to accommodate for this. So it is a ticking time bomb, and it's now arrived, and yeah. kicking the can down the road with the um, legislation to do with rent freeze and monitorings and evictions isn't going to solve this problem. It is is quite, like, I mean, it is kicking the can down the road, really. I mean, it's it's here, we know what the issue is, so rather than delay, let's just look at the best options to deal with it. The government should um, I did see, I did hear, you know, people have actually been coming onto TikTok and places like that and sitting saying, you know, oh, Section 30 of the, I don't know what it is, the European Union Act or something like that, um, goes on about how uh, the governments are going to be, you know, in the future, their their their, their um, commitments, uh, socialist governments are to take all the stock of private landlords and own them themselves. Um, I'm afraid that's not entirely possible. They can't do that because they've got no money to do it. Plus the fact they've got the legislation in place 
doesn't allow them to do that at all. And they will not be able to change the legislation in order to do that. It's been tried years and years ago, and it's never, it's failed. It's never, it will never happen. Uh, simply for the fact that most of the people in power, uh, uh, you know, quite a lot of the people in power are landlords themselves. themselves. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and the last thing they're going to do is let that happen. So, you know, and they're the people uh, act in the legislation and put it in place. Anyway, that gets off the beaten track. I thought I'd cover that yeah. first so people would understand yes. where we are right now in terms of that. I'd be, I'd be interested. I'm going to take, I'm going to see if there's any uh, quick couple of comments and stuff like that in terms of what I was saying. Um, yeah, good day, Barry. Um, still thinking, <laughs> uh, Barry, if you're still figuring out how to put up the six percent and 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 in your contract, you better hurry up then because you'll need it, especially after what I've just said. I've not put my rent up in six years, that is a hundred percent true. Uh, I'm a good landlord, just uh, yeah, okay. Got a couple of questions here, Jim. Yes, yeah, I, I bet that I'll get them in a minute. I'm just uh, wading through. Uh, thank God I own my own properties outright, but I was thinking of getting more with mortgages. So good to know. Well, you know, you've got to do your numbers, um, I would say, uh, definitely. Um, for that, um, a 0.5% increase cost for me is £250 per extra per calendar month. Wow. Cheesy peeps. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I had two tenants uh, leave recently, so the increases in rent will help. Yeah, I mean that is one of the. You've, I've got to. I've got to say, Richard, it, it does encourage landlords out there to then say, you know, maybe we should have the. You know, hopefully my tenant will move, so I can actually get a new tenant and get a higher increase. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, that is what, and that's what kind of that will push uh, people to make that to try and like obviously get the tenant to move, so then they could obviously change that. This is another one where it goes back to actually inspire for success actually says so making a loss is okay well according to the government it is yeah. or the scottish government you know the green party especially um what do you think about the new two-week evictions in england yeah okay two-week evictions in Link england um this is for in certain circumstances like you know antisocial behavior and stuff like that yes you might be able to do it, but the biggest challenge to that is uh, there'll probably more than likely be discretionary grounds, mm -hmm. uh, and that then relies on you providing belts and braces evidence um, for that two-week eviction to apply, and then actually go to court and then prove to the court that you are justified in actually being able to do that based on the evidence that you've submitted to them. The chances of the court evicting them uh, are yeah, no. a, sl a slim to none, yeah. Very, very sl slim to none. We'll, we'll put it like that. You know, I don't want to say definitely not, but I, I can't see that. It, it might happen, but I can't see it. I can't see it working out for that. Um, you know, let's look at uh, social media here. Uh, Davey Muir says, um, in my two, two rental properties that I've had went from £600 a month profit now, uh, since I have remortgaged my profit, it was down to 350 for both properties. Both yeah. properties... Well, uh, just with remortgaging on interest-only mortgages, but you, you need to do that um, at this mm -hmm. point in time. Interest-only mortgages is obviously going to alleviate your cash flow position, which is actually essential just now. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, Massey Ferguson says, I have said that all along rents also too little or, or too low in social housing for council houses to reinvest in new building. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think they understand the concept of that, and rents will now go up every year. Um, if it's even, if it's one percent, I don't want 
to, but the government has driven me to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, this is, um, you know, this is, this is got, we've got to, we've got to be realistic here in the fact that this, uh, in, in terms of Scotland, and, and I think England will end up following because there yeah. seems to be this um, um, mentality that, you know, it's, oh, it works and, well, it doesn't work in Scotland. Um, by the way, uh, rent controls has never worked in Ireland and they've repealed it. I think three or four, maybe two or yeah, three times. Few times um, yeah. so they've actually tried it and actually repealed it and says it's, it doesn't work. And yet we've run down that road and done the same thing. And yet England is looking at Scotland thinking, oh, it must work then. It doesn't work, trust me. Trust me, it doesn't work at all. The 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 fallout is yet to come, but it is in the pipeline, I would say. So let's look at rental inflation because we've talked about that a wee bit, um, yeah. um, and and I think that was to to do the to go across the board. So according to Zupla, the rental inflation slowed from the to eleven point eleven from twelve point three in mid twenty twenty two. The strong labour market and a record immigration uh, drove um, demand in twenty twenty two. Private rent housing supply has grown just one percent and since two thousand sixteen. Private rented housing supply has only grown 1% since 2016. I think that's going to be negative next year. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you that that the, the demand's far outweighs that. <laughs> mm. Higher mortgage rates have further weakened the economics of investing for landlords impacting on new investment rental stock. Landlords searching for yield uh, to offset rising costs will push some into, uh, to let into different sectors in the private rented market. Yeah. What does it mean by that then, Richard? What do you think? Landlords searching for for a yield to offset rising costs will push some some to let into different. That's probably people going into service accommodation. Yeah, I've just got to say holiday short shorter term lets and holiday lets and things. Because there's no are... restriction on the price on holiday lets. There's also no restriction no. on the price and coming on uh, student lets as well now. Yeah, so that'll push people into that uh, to find accommodation that way because, like you say, obviously, well, uh, supply has grown one percent since 2016, and like you say, that could even hit negative. Uh, in a year's time, demand's still there. So where are they going to go? They're going to look at service accommodation and short term, shorter term lets. Yeah, that, and they've actually said it here. You touched on it about demand and supply and all the rest yeah. of it. They reckon uh, the executive summary of Azupla says, and growth and overall rental supply is set to remain limited in 2023. Uh, demand mm -hmm. expected to remain above average, but lower than 2022. Uh, rental inflation for new lets will slow to 4 to 5% by the end of the year and the slowdown could be rapid in the inner London uh, and other city centres. Uh, that now, might be due to, I mean that might be due to the fact that people are staying put because obviously the, the I mean a lot of people that usually maybe move on after so long. When you look at this, this is the five-year graph, demand continues to outplace yep. supply of homes to rent. So this is the um, rental demand versus five-year yeah, average. average. This is the five-year average for Zupla. So five-year average for Zupla, the current rental demand right now is 51% more than the five-year average. That doesn't surprise me. That's the stock tough. of homes for rent versus the five-year average, the stock of homes for rent is down by 33%. Now, most letting agents, according to Zupla um, have gone from 16 available properties for let to now 10 available properties for let in the year. So that tells you about the number of stock that's actually gone down. Mm -hmm. The flow of new supply versus the five-year average, so the flow of 
rental stock versus the five-year average has now gone down 9%. And the year-on-year -year rental growth, as I said, has gone up 11%, which is that, yeah. um, the annual inflation for new inflation, lets. Yeah. Yeah. Now, remember, that's only new lets, as I said. That doesn't take into account existing lets because there's a freeze on them. So, you know, how on earth is anybody going to be able to increase that uh, you're, you're, if, you're, if you're not allowed to increase your rent? Yeah. So I, I think they've got a ticking time bomb on their hands, definitely. I don't know what anybody else thinks out there. If you want to comment, please feel free. Um, so let's look at the rental market, uh, and it's running very hot. Uh, this is the next graph here. Um, now, I'll just zoom in on that a wee bit, see that make it a bit more clear. Now, this is the rental demand reaches new highs over 2022. The residential rental market has been running hot for two years. Um, with something of a perpetual boom, in other words, a consistent boom over the years, and residential rents, which continue to run well ahead of earnings growth. Mm -hmm. Now, earnings growth has gone up, and that's fine, but do, would, would we not be accurate in saying, though, that the rental proportion of that was a lot less than what it was in the 1980s and 1990s in terms of your wages and your salaries? Because I remember yeah. most of my most of my my wages and the salaries in the 1980s and the 1990s was going on a mortgage. And yeah, you're literally, I, it was literally about 56% at that point. I mean, I, I don't personally remember, obviously, because I was born in the 80s, but looking at stats from back then compared to now, then you're right. Yeah, that, is, that, that was the trend. Um, so and yeah, it's, it's different we're, now. We've gone through a generational cycle now, and the new generation doesn't understand that that's what happened before. And therefore, people are throwing their arms up in the air and saying, what, my rent's 35 to 39% of my actual take-home pay? That's ridiculous. But that's that's tame compared to what it was in the 80s and 90s. Um, so I think I think it's just a, re a re-diversion of resources, isn't it? So this will actually take money away from things like people eating out, and that industry will be hit as well in terms of tourism. Right, let's talk about then, okay, the average rents for new lets have increased by 11% in the last 12 months, while earnings have increased by 6.7%. Um, rental inflation has slowed slightly from 123 in the mid-2022, but there is no sign of any imminent slowdown. Rents have risen by 20% in three years. Well, property prices have increased by 30% in three years. So we're going to do something about rents increasing by 20%, but we're not going to do anything about property prices increasing by 20%. See the double standard there? Yeah. Because we, And I think because we can pick on and vilify a small section of our population called private landlords. And because we're so disseminated, it's easy to do that. That's why it's important to join your local landlord association. Yeah. Uh, Scots Association of Landlords, landlords in yeah. Scotland. You've got the, the National Federation of Residential Landlords in England and Wales. You need to in Ireland as well. You need to join these organisations to protect your interests. We need a union, and that is these people that will be on her behalf. They are currently going through. And uh, 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 well, I'll talk about that in a minute. They're currently yeah. going through a legislative uh, review, which is um, um, again, you know, against the legislation changes um, for for us uh, for private landlords. Anyway, let's talk about that. The rents in 20 years, an extra £2,220 a year, which is an ongoing concern for renters, especially those on lower incomes and in receipt of housing benefit. Well, let's cover that in receipt of housing benefit. Housing benefit has been frozen for the last three years. Three years yeah. The calculation has been, has been changed from the average, which is 50% of the average private rented market, 
to, to get for a tenant to 30% of the private rent in the market. So the government's deliberately lowered the uh, universal credit, the housing benefit available for a tenant to, to get a home, and they've also deliberately frozen it for the last three years. So it's not because the private landlords are the issue here, it's because the government is not giving tenants on lower incomes enough money in order to rent a property. If property prices are going to have to go up by 30%, then the money amount of money invested in these properties is actually going to have to be recouped in the finance costs against the 30% increase. And that's why rents have to go up as a natural byproduct of property is a lot dearer to buy to get the rent return. It, we, you know, as much as I would love to have £74,000 given from the government for every single house built in Scotland, because that's what they're getting, and they're getting £40,000 thereabouts for every single house that they buy, councils buy for resale from the resale market to rent in their social housing stock, as much as I'd love to get £40,000, I would be able to charge the same rents as a council then. Yeah. It's the cost of finance that's causing the problem here. Yeah, also when you when you touch on the local housing allowances and things, Jim, I mean, last year in the 2022, when and the, at the change of tenancies and new properties and things, when they were they were being priced accordingly to the market and things, obviously rents were going up and mm. people who were in receipt of the local housing allowance were priced right out of the market and they weren't able to get, they weren't able to take the property on because they didn't have the, the, enough money to do that. Yeah. And that's because obviously they've frozen the local housing allowance. So it is a lot to do. It is a lot to do with local housing allowance being frozen, and the fact yeah. that the government has not given people on lower incomes enough money to in order to afford the rent. It's yeah. not the fact that you know the the we've been forced as private landlords to increase our rent, and it's only because things like the the maintenance costs have gone up, the insurance costs have gone up, the finance costs have gone up as well. That's what's driving this market, not the fact that the landlord is it's it's easy money for taking. It's 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 supply and demand as well, but we have to recoup these costs based on where we are right now. So the report takes a detailed look beneath the headlines and what's driving the boom in the rental boom and why they're not seeing a, why we're, we are not seeing a supply uh, side response. The key questions are one: this is what Zupla is saying. When will we see rental growth slow? Oh, that's an interesting one. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, Richard. And the second one. Is there a risk the rapid rise in rents means landlords overshoot and need to recreate in future? I wonder what that means. Is there a risk the rapid rise in rents means landlords overshoot and need to recreate in future? Well, you know, yeah, that, that, yeah. that means they go too much and then the, the market. Yeah, will... well, let's answer the first one. Well, we'll look at the first one. So the first question you there says um, the keys are when will we see rental growth slow? Well, I mean, we can't we kind of definitively say that, but obviously, I mean, I, like you say, through time, things will change and it will start to slow. But I mean, I kind of definitively say, well, I think by the end of the year or, or, or by summer or, do you know what I mean, or yeah. by next year, I, I think it's quite hard to pinpoint that. Um, it's quite interesting because where is everybody coming from? I don't, I don't yeah. understand this. If we've got a certain amount of people in this country and we've all, we're all here and we've no been, you know, they're saying that we've no been taking immigration and all the rest of it. Um, and and people are dying and people are born. Yeah. Why? Where about? Where is all the extra housing needed? Why is yeah, this? It's quite a um, it's quite a strange one. And we've spoke about it before in the past, and we spoke about it on here and shows and things. But it just all of a sudden, it's like where did all these people come from? <laughs> where are all these extra people that are needing housed? Um, and and to be, I can't definitively answer that to be honest, because I've thought about it a few times. But there is a, a, a 
and a considerably increased demand uh, from all these people. And uh, there has been for the, since the, since the other side of lockdown, we've seen it. Um, do you think the roadblock right now? Uh, you know, just like a roadblock, everybody running for the same thing at the same time, and then 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 at some point in time, it's just going to clear and go. Yeah, I think like you see, uh, yeah, and then we've got that overspill because everybody's everybody's competing for the same obviously thing at, at, at one time, which is obviously housing that we've got not a lot of in the rental sector. And then obviously we've got that overspill. So we feel like we're totally overwhelmed with demand, which is kind of where we're, we're still kind of at that point, but eventually it will obviously uh, dissipate. Well, because if you're not building enough houses and you're not building enough social and affordable houses, then, you know, it's kicking the can down the road and the situation will get worse. Well, there needs to be something to alleviate that position, obviously, for it to then obviously dissipate, of course. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, uh, yes, David. Uh, I was just going to say, David, yeah. A just... couple of questions. Stuart Curry uh, says, uh, when will universal housing benefit, uh, universal credit housing benefit allowance be unfrozen? I don't think they've got any intention on freezing it at all ever. There's no, I don't think there's any rush to do that in, in the imminent future. So, this has always been my argument. I've always been beating the drum with the political powers that be, and you know that. Um, and, and I was talking to Douglas Ross uh, yesterday. Well, I wasn't talking to him, I was emailing him back and forward, and Douglas Ross was discussing it, the head of the Scottish Conservatives. Um, but at what point, at what point are, is are we going to have enough properties for everybody to fill? You know, at, you know, and 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 at what point is the government going to realise that the only way to decrease the housing benefit bill is actually to build their own social housing again? Because mm -hmm. because what happens is the money comes out the housing benefit budget, and then it goes back to the landlord. So if they build their own houses, the money is basically going to come out of the budget for there, and it's going to come back to them. And it's not going to go to a private landlord if that's really what they want to happen. So the reality, and it's going to be a lot less money because they're building their own houses, they're investing in infrastructure, and if they get the funding right and the financing right, they're, they're, they're going to, it's going to make sense, absolutely. Yeah. So in order to decrease the housing benefit universal credit bill for housing, you're going to have to build more social housing, more council housing. Not necessarily, not necessarily I would say, um, mid-market rent housing, which is through social landlords, because then you're just getting back to the case the social landlord takes the place of the private landlord. That's a different political argument there, however. Um, but it's still the same rent level as what the private landlord's charging anyway. So therefore, you're back at square one without laying all that money. And then it's going to a so-called charity um, who are, you know, you've got heads of, you know, the chairman and the chief executive are taking an absolute fortune. Mm -hmm. Which is probably more than what the politicians get. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't get it, you know. I don't. But but they make a surplus. We've got to give them that. Oh, sorry, that's a profit, isn't it? Yeah, that's a profit. <laughs> but yeah, affordable social housing. Aye. I used to have that all the time when they used to sit and say to me, when we were sat in the housing partnership and we were discussing it, the head of the housing associations used to say, yes, but we need surplus. In our, what, a profit, you mean? No, no, it's to reinvest, yeah. Right, just let's define this. I used to bring her right back to it and say, let's define what you say a surplus is. That's your rents coming in minus your overheads and your costs. Isn't that right? And he said, yes. I went, well, that's a profit then in accountancy yeah. terms. So don't yeah, kid yourself and call it something else. And, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> oh, I didn't get it. 
I mean, if you put glitter on a turd, it's still a turd, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way of putting it, I suppose. But, uh, that second question, Jim, is there a risk that rapid rent uh, rise in rents means landlords overshoot and need to re-correct in the future? Well, yes, and I think there's a few landlords and things that would that obviously maybe their expectation and because they're in this mind frame, because they've got so much um, increased uh, expenditure and things, they're wanting to obviously increase the rent, which is fine yeah. at, at certain points in between tenancies, but they, they maybe their expectations will be a bit too much than what it should be. And you need to kind of increase the rent and in line with obviously the market and not too far because you're just going to have to refix that in the future. And, and it's just it's going to delay your, your whole process of letting and things if it's not priced correctly. I think we'll increase <sighs> we'll increase our point when we'll get to the we'll get to the top end again and then it'll be realigned over the yeah, okay, over yeah. a year or two years later. Um, I don't think that top end has been reached yet, and, and yet, basically no. because of all the inflationary pressure that's going on right now, and then they'll have to see what's going to happen with all these increases that will come through, um, yeah. and all the new rents that will be set um, as a result of new people moving in. Uh, they, they, uh, you know, I would say that the, the, both governments, the UK, the English government, and the Scottish government, have a huge task um, to a huge mountain to climb. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be solved by the way they're doing it right now. Um, that's that's for definite. So we'll, we'll jump back to this graph. This graph actually is quite good. It shows rental demand reaches new highs over 2022. It shows rental demand per agent branch. So that's the that's the black the line. line. And then they've got rental demand per rental listing. See how that goes right up? See the rental listing goes boom. So rental demand per rental listing, that means that's how there's there's 15 people down the road lining up or 50 people for, yeah, every for one property. property. Yeah. Because the renter demand per agent branch um, is 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 in here, um, so it's it's a total disparity there. So yes. this is what I'm going to talk about in here. So rental demand accelerates from mid 2021. Mm -hmm. Demand for rented homes and rental inflation uh, took off as the economy reopened in the spring of 2021, uh, and new visa rules attracted a major inflow of students or, uh, and others for work right across the UK. Uh, the core measure of rental demand and inquir inquiries received per estates in France peaked in summer 2022 uh, at a double the five-year average. So double. It wasn't just it wasn't just 50 percent. It was actually 100 percent. Yeah. However, with a third fewer homes available for rent than normal, demand per available rental homes spiked even higher last year by 250 percent above the five-year average. Jeez, demand for that's, that to look at that figure, it's a lot, but doesn't surprise yeah. me. Demand for rented homes remains ten percent higher than the last this time last year. Um, rents uh, will continue to rise ahead of incomes, this is according to Zupla, unless we see a sustained increase in rental supply of a material or a material weakening in demand, both of which appears unlikely at this stage. So where does this leave us then? Well, high economic immigration boosts rental demand. That's really yeah. it. I'm, I'm sorry, but we know. And I'm and while I was for not leaving, by the way, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna castigate the you know the government <laughs> decision. It's like so we've, you've left in order to curb immigration, but high economic immigration boosts rental demand. So immigration is up. Yeah. As a result. Okay, that doesn't make sense to what I was actually put on the table. Yeah. Anyway, that's no for me to say. It's uh, I think differently in terms of that. I think I think personally we need a really good immigration policy. We really need 
immigration to come in because eventually our population will decline. We need enough people with skills in order to replace them, in order to work in the jobs, which we're actually struggling to fill right now, which is 1.1 million jobs. And we've got about 900,000 to a million people actually chasing them. So we've not even got enough people to fill the current jobs we've got there now. And that's not taken into account the existing jobs where we'll, we'll naturally people will retire from at an earlier age. Um, but that's an, again, that's another story. Uh, early 2021, the UK government concluded, uh, conducted a major shakeup of the visa rules uh, to attract skilled talent. Well, did they? Um, there was one of the drivers that a record high net immigration totaling 500,000 people the year to June 2022, and it was boosted by humanitarian schemes supported by Ukrainians fleeing the war and specific visas uh, scheme for British overseas citizens. So there's another yes. one that's put pressure on. So will that alleviate? I've got a funny feeling it won't because that obviously happened, you know, when we had World War Two and things like that. You know, Polish people came over here and they're all still here anyway, and that's fine. But to think naively that this will all change back to what it was before is pretty naive. Rapid growth overseas from students. Do you want to cover that, Richard? Yeah, and this is something that we, we've seen. I mean, a jump in student numbers also uh, boosted uh, migration. Overseas students studying in the UK totaled um, around 680,000 in 2021 and 2022, mm -hmm. um, up from 122,000 um, in the two years. Um, so thanks to the new visa rules and things like we, we covered there, a group... Um, this group are a lucrative market for obviously universities. We've seen this in St Andrews and things that we get a lot of people coming across for the university in St Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the strategy to attract uh, talent to the UK and obviously skill, like we said, all university towns um, have sizable amounts of purpose built uh, student accommodation. Uh, they are widely reported uh, uh, supply and demand uh, imbalance as well uh, due to the growth of student numbers. And this means that student demand will spill over into the wider rental market. And we have definitely yeah, seen yeah. that over the last couple of years. Uh, boosting rental demand in the summer months, which was particularly strong in 2022, as international borders continue to reopen and things, obviously on the, on the back of uh, yeah, yeah. restrictions being lifted and things. And this explains why rental inflation has remained strong across major UK cities and, and uh, obviously like university towns and, and places that... Uh, like we've got here, St Andrews, we've seen a big uh, jump in that, and uh, that's progressively just increased over time as the um, as the borders and things like for other countries did open. We got that influx, and there's mm -hmm. the issue with HMOs and things in St Andrews just now. So there's a lot of students looking for the the mainstream private resi uh, residential properties as uh, accommodation, yeah. and there's no room yeah. in the halls, and there's there's been a big uh, a big issue with that. Well, this is kind of essential, isn't it? And it's primarily essential because we can't go on about the fact that the NHS has obviously been neglected and there's not enough skills in there, there's not enough doctors, we've not got enough dentists, we've, you know, we've not got enough of the professions which we actually need from these countries. Mm -hmm. So therefore, that's why we'll have to obviously have a strong immigration policy in order to bring that in. And, you know, the, the, you can't have, we're going to have no immigration because we don't want people in this country to... Oh, but we need people for the NHS and the dentists and yeah. you know the doctors. Um, so it, it, it is that it is that um, position where you know that you have to have a balanced a balanced approach to that definitely. Um, yeah. So the supply of rented rented homes remains broadly static though. 
Is yeah, right? it does. And, and, and while demand has increased, the numbers of privately rented homes remains largely largely static. In 2021, there was uh, 5.5 million private rented homes in the whole of Great Britain, the UK, uh, slightly more than the 5.4 total in 2016. Uh, this follows uh, a doubling in the numbers of private rented homes between 20, uh, 2002 and 2015, uh, driven by landlords using buy-to-let mortgages and things. So in simple terms, a static supply of rented housing means new investment that adds to supply is, is offset by the property leaving the sector. Yeah. yeah. Right. So as a landlord disposes of rental homes as part of an ongoing portfolio uh, rationalisation or exit the rental market altogether. Yeah. And we right. do so, see that, don't yeah. Yeah, we do. Oh, definitely. We see that. Um, and um Zupla said we're, they're registering a slight slowdown in landlord sales in the face of a weaker sales market so mm -hmm. some 11 percent of homes listed for sale in Zupla in the early months of this year 2023 uh, were formally rented and i could i could vouch for that i'm very I'm very aware of what's on the market and i know what ones have been in this area and i know what ones have been rentals and things previously uh, and this is a reduction from over 13 percent uh, last year but levels remain above average uh, so tax changes, growing regulations, the higher borrowing costs and lend, uh, lending, uh, uh, which is leading many private landlords to review their portfolio and the pros and cons of investing in housing. And it's uh, and it has put people off. That's quite uh, interesting. You were saying there that, that there's a 10% reduction. Uh, you know, our, our Zupla numbers are saying 11% of the homes listed for sale in Zupla in early 2023, which is just there the now. Just, just the last couple of months, but, yes. Um, they were formally rented. Now, when you look at that number and you think to yourself, there's 2 million landlords in in the UK or thereabouts. Yeah. And not every landlord has just one property. But even if every landlord has one property, that's 200,000 properties up for sale. Yeah. That's a reduction of 200,000 homes in the private renting sector. Yeah. Now, now that's been taken into account, the one I talked about, about the 356,000 homes by the end of the year, which will be financially, you know, fin not financially viable for a landlord to, to maintain. Therefore, they're going to get dumped on the market as well. So could we see that exacerbating itself to half a million properties, which is about quarter of the existing, you know, rental stock and uh, mm -hmm. got Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the, the good thing is that a lot not a lot but there's there's a, there's a lot of potential in these properties coming on the market that were previous rentals and the investors and landlords that see this opportunity and and pick these up and then put them back into the sector uh, but for the most part they are picked up maybe first-time buyers things you know because mm -hmm. the, the types of properties that are coming on are ideal for that so we're losing them from the from the private rented sector some of them are coming back into circulation but um, and even no, last year, though, yeah. even last year, though, it's thirteen percent last year, um, yeah. and it still remains above the average. And the tax changes as well, the regulations, yeah. um, the higher borrowing costs uh, are leading many private landlords to renew their portfolios. And the pros and cons of investing actually in housing overall isn't, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, it's making people really reevaluate where they are, where they are, and what they're doing, which is a shame because it's it's the legislation and the tax and and all the other costs and expenditure that's forcing them to make these decisions. Yeah, let's take a let's take a couple of comments here. You've got um, Marcy Ferguson, uh, Aberdeen's perfect example. How now low rents after oil depression, even yeah. trying to sell a two bedroom flat is 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 hard going, uh, mainly because the mega building uh, and was low interest. Uh, but then as well, you've got all these. Think about this. 
all these rents tumbled to about half of what they were in Aberdeen when it came to the when it came to the oil um, yeah. crash, uh, and th that all rationalised. So all these rents halved. Now all these properties were bought at these rates in order, you know, at that price in order to get the double the rent at the time. So they've halved, and now you've got nowhere to go in terms of the pricing. That's why that's what's keeping that market artificially low in terms of the pricing. Um, and then you're squeezed with interest rates going up and, and finance costs getting a lot higher. We could see a, a lot of casualties here. You know, if you look at that, Dave Slate actually says a good remark as well, with mental health such a low point, at what point will people in authority realise housing stability is the key underlying factor? Absolutely. Yeah. It is the underlying factor for everyone. Improving housing stability will save the system huge amounts above and beyond the benefits, the intangibles. The intangible really benefits point. overall. It's a, it's a great it's a great point, Dave. Uh, actually, great remark. Um, do you want to cover David's? Uh, hi guys, I asked for a couple of questions. Well, we'll cover that at the end. Uh, yeah, we'll go through that at the end. Let's talk about Before. economics of the private landlord. Yes. So the economics of private landlord, uh, the equity needed to buy a rental uh, rental homes. Um, and with a mortgage has been increasing in recent years as the result of rising house prices. Um, okay, so lower rental yields and tighter lending criteria um, as, as given to that. And this has been exacerbated over the last six months with the rising mortgage costs. Um, just as I've explained there, literally my mortgage costs in the last six months have more than doubled. So they've gone up by 100%, but I'm only able to recruit 6% at the very most of my rent. <laughs> oh, dear. I, but think about all the other landlords that are, in, are not in the position I'm in right now. Not, they don't have that kind of luxury or or that that um, tolerance, I would say. I wouldn't say luxury. I would say the tolerance to possibly mitigate that and actually weather that storm um, when it comes. That, that'll be quite interesting. And if you're a landlord out there, you don't need to post anything for you personally on your page, but it'd be interesting to hear from you in a private post and you message us yeah. direct, something like that, or send an email to you know info at fiveproperties.co.uk for Richard or myself, just so we know what what you how where so you are as well. Because yeah, we'd like to get on. a good feel for this, because most people know I lobby this all the time and I, I, I tend to tag all the um, uh, politicians in, and they do watch these shows and listen to them, or their their team does. Um, because I've had comments from them and feedback from them already about them, um, and order, 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 um, other opposition parties have had comments and feedback from. Them. <laughs> um, so uh, let's look at this then. The vital mortgages are general interest only, which is which is a good taxation, good cash flow um, measure as well. Lenders require rental income generated by the property to be at least one hundred twenty-five percent of the mortgage interest payments for lower rate taxpayers as well. Um, the increase to 145% for higher rate taxpayers, reflecting tax changes made in 2016, which was Section 24 of the Tax Act um, or the Finance Act. Uh, today, banks are stress testing affordability and new buy-to-let loans and stress testing a rate of 6% compared to 4.5% a year ago. Actually, I've just been stress tested at 9%. That's how high they're going now. So they're stress testing at 9%, and, and I'm glad to say I passed easily. <laughs> <laughs> but then I knew that anyway. I, you know, yeah. I, I geared all this anyway, and I knew fine. I could, and I stress test myself. We talk about that sensitivity analysis and risk analysis. Risk analysis. Yeah. Um, the chart shows here. So here we go. Um, this is the next chart. This is quite an interesting one. 
So this chart shows here um, the amount of equity deposit needed to buy a typical rented home from for for a higher rate taxpayer um, and a lower and a how higher mortgage rates have pushed this higher this higher over the last year, which will be similar similar profile to lower rate taxpayers, albeit at slightly lower levels. So you can see that across there, you've got in comparison quarter one in 2022 versus quarter one in 2023, the deposit for new buy-to-let purchases at higher rates. So the deposit in quarter one last year for a London landlord was just over 120, 130,000. The deposit now for a London landlord is 250,000. Yeah. yeah. See, in Scotland, in Scotland, it's almost like for like, but then that's because of the depressed market, because of the uh, uh, moratoriums, because landlords are more than likely going for lower value properties with the full, full implications of knowing that there's no rent increases for, for this time to come on the horizon, and there's potentially no evictions as well. So they're very, very careful, hence the reason the Scottish market for investment strategy only for landlords is they're buying at the right values that accommodate that that thinking and that process yeah. whereas in the english market right now there's no restrictions just now so you can see right across the board there richard where you go right across it in wales and northern ireland where the year on year it's significantly more in terms of the deposit required to put down yeah um, and, it, and it goes down and then scotland um, and, and as i said even stevens so that's a quite interesting one i mean the london they yeah. need to has jumped £129,000 in terms of the value, 50% of the property value. Um, it's a sizable deposit to buy a property delivering a gross yield of just 4%. 4%? That's low. Good grief. There's no much in there. Uh, the level of equity to buy remains lower in regional markets. By the way, gross yield should only be used if you're a cash buyer. Cash buyer, yeah. If you mortgage... It's not. It's the gross yield based on the mortgage out and how much money you've got in. So what I mean is how much money you've got in versus, and that's the total money, and then versus the amount you've got after the finance cost is paid over the years. So for example, if you've got £6,000 rent, £3,000 finance costs, yet it's £3,000. If you've got 25% in on a £100,000 property, it's £3,000 divided by... £25,000 instead of £6,000 divided by £100,000. Yeah. That's how you should measure it if you've got a mortgage because that's a comparable. Okay, in most cases, uh, higher rate taxpayers will need to take 60-70% loan to values. Changing economics of buy-to-let taken into account with rising costs, more regulation, and uncertain outlook for property values is severely limiting the new level of investment by private landlords. I also think it's the draconian attitude for the government's um, and the noises they're making in the media right now. Some landlords are shifting portfolios into limited companies to find tax efficiencies, but this isn't an option for all landlords. I know that personally for some of the landlords that I know. Um, they're just going up and up, and they're on variable rates. And variable rates right now for landlords are around about 8%. Approach mm -hmm. 9 so those that continue to invest will be focusing on lower on buying lower value homes at higher rental yields, as we said there for Scotland, and looking for segments of the rental market that will deliver higher revenues and strong cash flow potential to weather that storm. Yes. Uh, the new investment. Do you want to cover the new investment fo focused on? Yeah, new investment focused on revenue and and yield. So, obviously, 
to help illustrate the choices facing landlords, uh, we've got a chart here that Jim's going to pull up just now. Um, and this shows uh, the estimates on how the private rented market breaks uh, down the sub sectors nationally. So, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you can see that. Um, so, sorry? I'm just saying you can see that there, yeah. Ah, yeah, that's clear enough there. So, one, obviously, so one million homes are now available on the open market. So, mm -hmm. there are they are rented as part of a, a job or let under secure let tenancies. And then number two, the, the we estimate that 8% of the rented homes are operating in the holiday let or short-term let sector, uh, where revenues are higher, but uh, there are uh, more running costs. Uh, concentrated in cities and tourist hotspots, and this and, and Fife, obviously, we've got like East Newcombe and, and St Andrews and things. Uh, these are the tourist holiday let hotspots. There is a risk mm -hmm. that the availability of homes uh, for rent in the long-term market will be squeezed if landlords shift into this sector for better returns. Now that's strange that they say that because I've seen I've seen a difference in that lately, and I've seen a lot yeah. of yeah. short-term holiday let landlords and, uh, and owners coming to me and looking at the option for long-term residential because they're they're obviously the cost involved in turnaround and things as well. So. Uh -huh. Uh, I mean that, that that's obviously what they're they're getting through their feedback. But, yeah, there's a lot of turnaround and a lot of work involved in short term. And most landlords are getting to service accommodation. If you don't, if you have to do it yourself, it, it just gets to the point where I've had enough of this. I'd rather just get a decent return. Um, it's steady, a steady flow, and 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 that'll do it. And then there's the, again there's the draconian attitude of legislation against these against this sector. Um, again, the Scottish government, eh? <laughs> it's like, the Scottish <laughs> government's just got it in yeah. for everybody. Um, you know, towards licensing for holiday lets, all holiday lets, uh, the council's taking a light touch approach. They're making it really easy for everybody to get a license. But once they've got everybody registered, I'm sure they'll clamp down on further legislation requirements. Um, once, Because yeah. th this is the whole point. This is why you get registered. This is getting you registered at this point in time. And then we start, you know, start twisting the thumbscrews once we've got you, because you've, yeah. you've now got your details. It's like the, the taxman never knew, had no idea in the early, in the early 2000s, how many, how many second homes actually anybody owned. So basically, at the, at the time when I questioned this, I, I said to them, so how, do you know how many? Do you know how many I own? And they went, no, really. And I said, so if I sold all my houses and just put the money in the bank and never told you, yeah. would, would you know? And they went, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> what am I making capital gains for then? <laughs> but genuinely, that's what they said. And that's why they put the system in place in order to the requirement for a second home for every single solicitor in Scotland to register that with the land registry the so land they could track that, so they could build up a profile of how many people actually own the second home, so therefore they can close that loop of that potential loss in revenue um, later on. And, and yeah. so this is this is what they've been doing over all the years, and this is why they put all these things in place. Interesting to see there, not available for the open market, 16% of the stock is not available for the open market. HMO is 9%. Long-term let housing benefit, 18%. Yeah. Long-let market rent, 48%. Uh, and 8% is holiday lets and short-term uh, short holiday lets. So, you know, HMOs and holiday lets don't seem to be the market you should be aiming for. It should really be long-term market rents and long-term housing benefit is the yes. ones you need to support. Because that's you make a small loss and you, you, you have a small decline in that market 
That's a huge impact. I mean, you have an 8% decline in the, well, if you lose 8% of the long-term market rents market, that's literally the same as the holiday lets market yeah. completely in its entirety. And it's the same with the long-term housing benefit um, market is 18%. If you lose 8% from that, that's literally the, the holiday lets market. Mm -hmm. So you're focusing on the holiday lets market, the HMO markets, which are minimal in comparison to these two markets, which you need to sustain and support and help in order to help these markets in order to help the people in the properties yeah definitely so long-term market 25 percent of renters and receipt of housing benefit renters uh, rents are set by the government and the low end of the market and they've been frozen since 2020 um yields all are similar to, the yields are, are, are similar to the open market assuming landlords buy lower value homes Th this is the problem with the housing benefit market and the way it's been frozen it's encouraging landlords to buy lower value homes, which potentially probably might be in more prob problematic areas and yeah. possibly might not as be not as be energy as energy efficient and also might not as be um as 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 up to date inside in terms of kitchens and bathrooms and heating systems. Generally generally they'll need quite a bit of upgrading, yeah. So it's almost by the government's legislation, they're forcing landlords into the position, or they're, they're bringing in landlords which can see the opportunity of not being as good as they should be. And they're forcing the landlords out. They would otherwise invest quite a lot of their money into this. Um, they're forcing them out of the market by actually curtailing the return that they'll get because there's no point in putting money into that market anymore because you won't get the return required. I mean, we'll just put it in the bank and sit on, sit on the beach. And drink pina coladas for the rest of my day. <laughs> Genuinely, this is how we used to look at an accountancy. You know, you used to look at the capital employed in a company, and this is just a company in general. When you look at the capital employed in a company, and you look at how much you made, and then you reinvested, then you think about the profit you would make in the next year, and you measure the profit against the amount of, amount of money you made and the capital you've got employed now. If the if the return was lower than the return that you'd get in a bank, significantly. There was no point in maintaining that business anymore. You may as well just shut the doors and put the money in the bank and save yourself the bother. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what that's what the government doesn't understand. I fear, and you look at the backgrounds, and I have been looking at them recently. I fear there's too many academics in our government. There's not enough people with business acumen in what I call commercial reality of the yeah. situation and bigger picture thinking. It's all people from academic backgrounds. We are career politicians that have come straight out of university and they've maybe passed their university with flying colours and they've been the top person in the debating society. And while they can debate the law and put, uh, put measures in place, they don't understand the implications because they don't have the commercial reality of the measures that they're putting in place and how that will affect the bigger picture overall. Yeah, I think to have the experience of like boots on the ground, being ex involved in the actual day-to-day -day running of things like that and, yeah. and have that experience... I mean, it's all very well being well educated, but uh, it comes down to things like experience and common sense as well, mm -hmm. which is a different thing. Quite interesting. Yes. Um, Stuart actually says the new income and e uh, EPC minimum re re requirements also worry me going forward. Any thoughts and further info on this? Yeah, I, I, I know it's 2028 and it's got to be C by then. Um, it's, 20, and, well, it's 2025 for new tenancies. Yes. And 2028 for existing. So I've got a funny feeling when 2025 comes, that's, that cans are going to be kicked down the road. England has just announced that they've moved theirs to 2028 now. They just announced right now. 
So the English government have actually said, we're going to move the EPC legislation because there's too much a burden on the existing landlords right now. And we fear that the landlords will exit the market as a result. Um, and, and we don't want that to happen. So that's, I, I've got a funny feeling, but you never know. Eh? You've got Scotland. to be, remember, the key is you've got to be prepared for it. You've got to be prepared for it just in case. Don't run out and do it for goodness sake. Just build, just build a savings fund in order to do these be prepared for that. nearer that time when it happens but i have a i have again i have this i i, I just know the government so well because i've been doing it for 30 years it's when you get there and you've done it and um, then they decide that we're, we're just going to kick the can down the road and we're going to we're going to move it three or four years down the road look at the classic example i had with the eicrs and they actually yeah. asked me to change all the ele electricity fuse boxes to um plastic RCD yeah, protected. but actually, no, RCD was fine. But they didn't say, no, no, there's got, there's got to be a plastic box on it, remember. And it's like, and, and I, I went and changed them all, and they were all plastic polycarbonate boxes. And then the, then they changed their mind. They went, no, no, we're going to change it back to metal. <laughs> what? It's the same with the hardwired. Like, and the, and I've the... got everything one of them is polycarbonate now, because you told me. And yeah. it's the same with the smoke detectors. Oh no no smoke detectors they've got to be hardwired every single one of them into the into the hardwired mains. I've got trunking all the way over my my my, my, my um, flats and some of them um, in order to accommodate for these smoke detectors. And then they turn around and says, no no we've changed their mind. You could just have uh, you could just have one hardwired and as long as they're interlinked in ten year lithium batteries. I don't uh, you don't even need one hardwired now as long as they're well, all interlinked. And that's as long that's, as they're all interlinked. Yeah. I paid the best part of forty thousand pounds to do all that. And then they change their mind and says, no, nah, you can get every property you can get for 200 quid. So literally, my 40,000 pounds... As long as they're interlinked pound, with long-life lithium batteries. My 40,000 pounds could have cost me 12 grand. That's, That's why always wait till the government, right to the right to the wire, because they don't even bother. The other light-touch approach, they take a light-touch approach to everything. You get to the deadline and they say, right, have you done it? And everybody goes, no, nah, I've not really done it. All right, we'll just get it done, and we'll just make sure you get it done now. And that's what they do. And so I've learned a lesson over the years: is just wait till they have a finalised policy in place before you actually do anything. Yeah. And no, it's not just a pie in the sky thinking like this would be great to have this done by twenty twenty eight or twenty twenty five. It's obviously it pays to be cautious, but I mean it's a shame because there will be a lot of landlords that are keen to make things the way they should be ahead of time and be like obviously prepared like that but then they'll obviously yeah let's quickly go on to variations in available supply in the area there, there's yeah. also different patterns of availability of rented homes by the type of area whether it's a tourist hotspot or it's the city of london um or, or it's the city itself any city and village and all the rest of it the yeah. chart here shows the numbers and um, this is actually quite interesting the next one so this is the chart of rental supply across different market segments. You can see there, look at the tourism one as the purple. So it goes, you know, it comes right down. The tourism one was way down the pandemic. And then all of a sudden it's back up to some sort of equilibrium as to where it was before. Mm -hmm. uh, London, is, is London's tanked, basically. Um, major cities, including, excluding London, has actually recovered back to where the tourists areas excluding London where so London's kind of tanked isn't it yeah availability of homes to rent uh, to, for rent is worse in London so it's the you know the number of available for rent so we've got a decent amount but London's the worst available for rent 
and there's a huge competition from a range of renters, including students uh, and those working in London, short-term visitors. Uh, this will also apply to places like Edinburgh, I would imagine. Yeah, I think it's a high rented value, uh, rented stock as well for the city. Yeah. Um, we also uh, we have shown so Zupla says we have shown that equity is needed by private loans to invest in this market, which limits the flow of new supply to improve uh, availability. The net result is that London tops the status uh, that status. Okay, supply has improved in tourist areas which are out of season at present. This might also reflect uh, more supply, which is the holiday shortlet uh, moving into long term market. Just as you said, the staycation boom slows as the staycation yeah. boom is actually slowing. Um, uh, definitely, Aven available rental supply also improves in the major cities, uh, the largest uh, 11, excluding London. Um, this is also seasonal uh, seasonal line, reflecting the ebb and the flow of student demand uh, each year in the summer. Uh, there's also a significant corporate investment in so-called build-to-rent schemes across many cities, except for Scotland, because they've basically stopped that because of the moratorium and the rent, uh, the rent uh, um, freezes. So, so they've managed to stop building programs uh, built to rent in Scotland and Glasgow in particular because they announced it about a month ago they've stopped because of this. Um, so again, that's not that's a lack of investment uh, going in. Um, so that's another thing as well. Um, and the risks to rents of overshooting remains. So, or does it remain? Uh, so low supply exacerbates rental growth and local areas where rents for new lets have jumped the most. Uh, there's a risk that rents may overshoot sustainable levels. Uh, if rents are, get so high that many existing renters in the area simply can't afford them, demand will cool and supply will improve and the rental level will need to... This is supply and demand, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's the classic supply and demand, yeah. So they call it risk of overshooting, but it's no, it's actually realigning to where they should be. The greatest risk is in a London where affordability is actually stretched overall. Um, let's finish off, Richard. What about yeah. rental growth varying uh, for new lets versus all rented homes? Yeah, I mean, there is a difference between the pace of uh, which rents are rising for uh, new lets. So when a property becomes vacant uh, mm -hmm. and the rent rises uh, as, as reset to the market rate, which I was talking about earlier, obviously that's when properties become vacant or new properties to the market, we're uh, pricing them accordingly to the market. Yeah. And uh, how which rents are rising across the whole rental market. So whether people are moving or not, both matter uh, to rental uh, renters and they impact mm -hmm. the decision whether they move or they go to a new property or how much their landlord might increase their rent after the initial term. Uh, I mean, that, yeah. that initial term, that's in reference to obviously uh, not the PRT in Scotland, but yeah. Um, so higher growth in new lets uh, measured by Zupla Rental Index leads the whole market growth rate. Um, and you've got a, you've got another chart there, Jim, um, for that we could look at. Yeah. So there we can see that there. So Zupla UK Rent Index. So new lets is the purple one. Mm -hmm. and you can see right up 11.1% as well. Yeah, that's 11% increase in the growth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, one was and that's new lets. That's uh, London. Yep, nine point four percent. UK rent index. So all homes. Yep, and then the lighter, the lighter red one is UK London. Yeah. So this see that. goes in line with what I said. Then uh, mm -hmm. the the new lets uh, or the what would I say the existing lets is only yes. increasing by about four percent, whereas the new lets are increasing in London nine percent and eleven percent overall um excluding london so 
it's really people an existing stock. It's, it's really only according to this is only going up four percent year on year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that, that that for me says it all really. Okay. So let's look at that again. Now. Um, so the outlook will start to be affordability. We expect a continual scarcity of homes. And so we expect a continual scarcity of homes itself um, over the 2023 and the weaker economics for investors, ongoing competitors to build rental schemes, which will be any bright spots. Um, that was what it is. Uh, ongoing completions to build the rent will be one bright spot, adding supply to the middle end up of the market in the UK cities. Um, one additional area of potential supply could come from sellers renting out homes who they can't sell due to weak sales market. But conditions aren't sufficiently challenging at this stage for this to impact on outlook. Rental demand is unlikely uh, to be quite as strong as it was last year, given the weaker economic outgrowth, but we expect it to remain above the five-year average, which much depends on trends in employment, especially across the UK cities where rented homes and jobs are concentrated. In terms of affordability... Yeah, I thought Jim's... Um... I thought his connection was quite bad there, but it'll jump back in. So, yeah, in terms of affordability, average rents expressed as a percentage of earnings uh, are now at a, a close to a 10-year high uh, in all regions, um, except from London. So, obviously, the, the Zoopla index refers to London quite a lot as a main city, but as I say, it will be reflective of uh, other areas like uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow and things up here. But, yeah, except for London, and this will start to impact the pace of rental growth. And uh, that will continue over 2023, which we expect to slow down slightly, maybe about four or five percent by the year end. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. But a faster slowdown in rents in uh, inner cities and, and places like London and some uh, other inner cities areas could be uh, developed later in, in the year. And stretched affordability combines with localised increases uh, in supply and slow job growth as well. Um, so that is um, that is the outlook, and uh, that will how uh, the affordability will be shaped. And uh, and he's back again. As I, I finished that uh, the outlook, Jim, um, with the affordability and things, and how that will be shaped. Yeah, I thought your connection was going to be better. So yeah, we got to the end of that there. Um, Overall to- thoughts on, on the way forward. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think. I think the outlook there just says obviously things will change as we go throughout this year and towards the end of this year. We've covered quite a lot of the the stats and I think they're quite accurate in the reflection of how we're seeing things Mm -hmm. in Fife. Um, Although there is some slight differences, uh, interesting things about the holiday let. I am seeing a lot of holiday lets transferring across or looking to transfer across to uh, long-term residential as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yes, I think the important things we've touched on here is obviously the the issue with housing and the the problems that landlords and investors are now facing uh, due to the legislation and, and increased costs. Unfortunately, some people are going to um, they're going to get to a point where um, it might be too much for them. Uh, we have said obviously weather the storm uh, as much as you can because obviously this will um, we will come to a point where um, things will change again. But that is going to be difficult for a, for a lot of landlords. And like you say, if you've not done the proper risk analysis and, and plan things out financially at the beginning of your investment, you might you might then obviously uh, be caught out in this situation with cost and expenditure. 
I think it's quite interesting. Uh, Matthew Ferguson says, um, just had a tenant tried to get a mortgage with a seventy percent deposit from him, but refused. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's a bad credit rating. It possibly has implications on that. His mortgage would be less than the rent. Um, do you think the mortgage company should be taken to task? I was happy for his earnings, but mortgage companies not. Um, you find potentially when you come back to that um, that it's possibly a, a you know the tenant doesn't want to divulge the fact that they've got bad credit and that's yeah. what's caused the problem. Um, I, most mortgage companies we've had mortgage companies write to us in the past, haven't we, Richard, to say that is the is the tenant up to date with their rent and do they pay it on time all the time? And they use that. Some mortgage companies actually use that as an example of yeah. uh, can can you know will the will the tenant be reliable because they don't have any further information available at hand to 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 give them that 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 confidence uh, that you know so it's it's a great way to do it so if you're a tenant out there please make sure you pay your tenant on your rent on time every time because it, it a mortgage company will write possibly to the to the landlord if you've been living in a property as to to get evidence that you're actually you do pay your 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 stuff on time if they have a wee inkling and it, it might not be um yeah. he also he also goes in and says it's time landlords allowed uh, are allowed grants, uh, not loans, to improve housing stock. There is kind of there grant is grants available. I did see that comment, and there is yeah, there is grants going to be available. I understand what you mean, especially with EPCs coming in in twenty twenty five. You do get grants. The biggest problem with EPCs coming in twenty twenty five, I do not think it will be twenty twenty five. I think it'll be kicked down the road. It will, it will. the road. Yeah. Uh, however, the biggest challenge there is when you've got a flat or a or a adjoining property, they've got to agree to it as well. And if they don't agree to cavity wall insulation, you can't get it. Because I'm sitting looking at some of mine. They're on they're on 68, which is D, and 69 is C, okay, for the level. So in order to get it from 68 to 69, I have to put cavity wall insulation. But it's a flat. I cannot put cavity wall insulation in one flat if the other flats in the block don't agree because they just can't do it. Yeah. So that's where the dispensation would kick in and the fact that it's not possible to do so you would be given a pass on that, by the way, under the current legislation, because it does say if it's if it's impossible to do, or it's financially impossible, or it's prohibitive to do, then then you know we'll just have to go with that. That's to allow as well for farmers who have rented potentially not not tied rent, not tied uh, properties for because you work there, but just rented in general to someone a property, but you've got the old cottages which will never come up to a C level. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know how you will ever get them up to that that kind of level. I mean, some of them are sitting at like F and G, and do you know? <laughs> yeah, so, the see. solar panels as well is quite an interesting comment as well. Solar panels and tenants flat is a capital improvement, not tax exempt. Why not? Um, I, you know, I I agree, but you this is where prohibition and the cost required to do it to the value of the property and the return that you would get for the reduction in the tenants' bills would justify the fact that it potentially it sh it, it isn't done. Even if even that's the only thing left, it will get you from a D to a C. Though that you could easily justify that there's no way you could do that because it's prohibitive in cost. Yeah, um, I definitely see that. And yeah, yeah, I know you did say this person that was trying to get that mortgage as a model tenant, but it doesn't mean to say that the very fact is they could have some bad credit or in their history, and and you won't get to know that because that's obviously not your concern. Um, and 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 that's it, really. Um, talk about David, grant David. Can I ask? I've been approached by these grant companies on Facebook. I asked them about the grants. Um, 
Davey, I'll give you a bit of advice. What they do is they get a list of all your properties, they go around to all your properties, they have a look at what could be done, they give you a suggestion, they say, yes, that can be done. But for me personally, I've had it over all these years and I think it's more hassle than it's worth. Yeah. It, because it comes back to down, it comes down to saying that if the next door neighbours don't agree, then you're, you're goosed, you can't do it if, you're in a, if you've got flats. Yeah, Davey's also asked, just back the comments here, um, it's quite a big comment, but I'll read it. So he's, he's obviously, to generalise this question, he's asked what we think about, obviously, he's looking for his next buy to let, he's putting in offers for properties, he's happy to pay market value, but then looks at properties that maybe, obviously, they're needing X, Y, Z done. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. then he's when he's putting in offers, um, then he's putting them in slightly less and he's saying basically i'm getting laughed at by estate agents and things and and obviously not being successful in purchasing his next buy to let my advice there would be stick to your numbers david and if, if they if they work it the way they work and then just stick to them something will come around it's, uh, it's uh, i know it's frustrating it's just frustrating sometimes okay but... david it's got a lot to do with possibly how you present it to the estate agent um, I often go when I present a, when I present my offer to an estate agent. I often put preparation of the groundwork in first, in order you know in order to 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 tell them this is why my numbers at this figure. So in other words, I'm preparing it in advance. I'm saying, look, there's comparables. There's where the current values are at right now. There's and and I do actually I do this. See, I do this in writing. I don't. I do it via an email and I, and I don't actually offer as such I just say look you know I, I had a look at the property I've looked it online my numbers work um, here's where my numbers work this is the reason why my numbers work at this level if the if the owner is interested in that the, the good thing about me is it's a cash sale it's a quick exit and it's definitely going to go through Potentially, I might sweeten the deal by saying I'll pay the legal fees up to a thousand pound or something like that um, as part and parcel of that. So then, then they start to it starts to make it nice and easy. Um, so I make it as easy as possible for the for the seller to exit, rather than having somebody saying coming along and saying, "Well, I've got to go and I've got to go and you know get a mortgage in place and I've got to do everything else." Um, so sometimes they'll just say, "Yeah, I can't be bored with the hassle." Now you will get people like that, but few and far between. So it is, it is the old, the old saying of kissing a lot of frogs to find your prince. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you can use that quite a lot, but you need to throw a lot of mud against the wall in order to get that to work for you. But, but you'll get the gems out there now and again, and then it fits into your numbers and that's how it works. So that this isn't a race to get as much stock as possible. This is a marathon to build up a profitable investment portfolio that you can then be able to get a decent return out of for yourself but also be able to put money back in to reinvest in the stock yeah. over the years that's what you should be doing you shouldn't be just running and saying because a lot of people run and they buy 36 properties you know i saw somebody it was crowing at the fact that i bought 30 properties in the last three years and it's like okay and i know why that is because they think if they get the 30 properties and the service of debt in 20 years time the value of that stock will be double and that's where they'll make their money but i've never actually i've never actually focused on capital appreciation as the as the main driver for my investment decisions it's always been about cash flow cash flow from overheads and mortgages have been paid and then assessing the tolerance limits you know if interest rates go up what where where am i breaking even if occupancy rates drops where am i breaking even if 
if rental level drops, where am I breaking even on my numbers? That's when it gives me a degree of tolerance. So that's where I do all my criteria and all my all my analysis. And in 20 years' time, the value of the property goes up anyway. So why are you bothered? Yeah, well, you've got to work on every month. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good coverage of that, Jim, and, and a good a good approach to the the, the way to buying and, and offering and how to, how to communicate with agents in, in regards to putting offers in. Just one last thing, David's also said here, uh, and what do you think of letting agents not doing what they say, like doing their checks and not being able to get a hold of them? I know that a lot of agents are experiencing the, still the knock-on from lockdown and not being able to get any inspections and playing catch-up and things. Um, inspections are so important and they should be done. Um, in terms of getting hold of your letting agent, if you've got an agent that's in charge of looking after your portfolio and your investment, you should be able to get a hold of them. Um, speaking as an agent myself, I know that my landlords and things, anybody watching, I'll, I'll vouch the fact that you could phone me on a Sunday, a Saturday afternoon, an evening, and you'll always get me. So you should always, I mean, if you've, got, if you've got somebody dealing with your your uh, your investments and your portfolio, they should be contactable um, or have somebody or have a point of contact for you. Because most, most of the time when you're working all during the week, the first, yeah. you're usually going to think about these things when you get home at night or at the weekend. Yeah. And you don't want to be sending somebody an email and waiting for an answer like three days later. You would rather just have an open discussion with someone there and then. So as a letting agent to a degree and as a sales agent as well, you kind of have to be quite flexible. And I, and I don't understand the mentality of these people out there that are letting agents and sales agents and estate agents. Just switch go, off. My, my private life is my own and my work life is left at the door when I leave. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You're obviously you obviously know, successful at this. Do you know what I've found in the last few years um, has been really good for communication as uh, as WhatsApp? WhatsApp's just brilliant for landlords and things. Can I, I'll I'll message back and forward and you know share voice voice messages and things and things with landlords and an evening and I mean uh, that's that's the type of communication you need with your agent that's looking after your, yeah. your portfolio. And that's us. Thanks yep. for coming on. We've answered all the questions. We've done TikTok. We've done Instagram. Job done. That was good. Thanks everybody for keeping it interactive, and uh, we'll see you next time. And then we've got our we've got our we've got our investment workshop the night as well. We do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, I've just talked all day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, bye bye for now, folks. Right. Okay. Thanks, Jim. <laughs>